Presenting Northwest Herb Fest 2007, the third annual herb symposium on botanical medicine. Title, Our Pathway to Mental, Emotional, Physical, and Spiritual Health. Held July 21st and 22nd, 2007. The following presentation was recorded live on Wiseacres Farm in Pleasant Hill, Oregon. This presentation is titled, Nourishing Herbal Infusions and Mineral-Rich Vinegars. Your presenter is Susan Weed. From the farm of the beautiful, dancing green women, we're inviting you all to scoot back. The spirit of the pen says, come to me. In the farm of the beautiful, dancing green women, her eyes will me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. And the spirit of the plant says, Come to me in the form of a beautiful dancing green woman. And the spirit of the plant says, Come to me in the form of a beautiful dancing green woman. Her dance fills me with peace. Me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. The spirit of the plant says, Come to me, and has filled me with great peace. The spirit of the plant says, Come to me, and has filled me with great peace. me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. me with peace. Her dance fills me with peace. How are we doing? Is everybody kind of getting comfortable and all right, I feel ever so much better this way. Thank you for indulging me. It's really, I don't know how it feels out there, but it's really very stultifying to me to see you all lined up behind tables. <laughs> because as far as I'm concerned, we're all in this together. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not just, you know, one person who has knowledge. It's all of our knowledge. Herbal medicine is people's medicine. You know, last fall, I went down to Thai Sophia and I took a week-long um, workshop with Michael Moore, not the filmmaker, the herbalist. <laughs> and he started our time together by uh, saying to us, if a plant can't kill somebody, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> it's not medicine. Now, you laugh, but you must understand that that is the definition of medicine. Right. In order to sell a drug in the United States, you must establish the LD50, which is short for lethal dose for 50% of the animals that it's given to. If you cannot establish an LD50, you cannot sell your drug. <laughs> if, you, if you're a drug that won't kill half of the animals, it's not a drug. It can't be sold. So the arc of herbalism, we might say, goes from herbalists who are doing their best to be what I call faux pharmacists. 
All right, in other words, they want to find out what is the active ingredient of this plant, how do I get the most possible amount of this active ingredient, how do I standardize the active ingredient. And I personally don't have any answers about the faux pharmacist. I have a lot of questions. I was out harvesting hypericum blossoms, and I was out with Gretchen Gould, who makes the world's finest hypericum oil, and she was teaching us how to distinguish the flowers that bloomed that day from the flowers that bloomed yesterday and the day before yesterday because she only picks two days blossom to make her oil. All right. And her oil comes out so red that uh, she entered it in an herbal contest that Rosemary Gladstar and I were judging. And we actually thought that she had dyed it with alkanet or beet powder. It was so incredibly red. She said, no, it's just by picking two days blossoms. And we all, I would guess, feel comfortable with that. That she's like maximized the effectiveness of her thing. And yet, I will speak for myself, I feel very uncomfortable when I talk to a young man at the International Herbal Symposium who was talking about growing mushrooms and that they had found that one particular medicinal mushroom, and all mushrooms are medicinal, from the white button mushrooms you grow in the store to any mushrooms that you find. If it's edible, it's medicinal. And they had found that this one mushroom, if they grew in a reduced oxygen environment, would produce more polysaccharides. Now, there isn't really too much difference between those two things, is there? Between picking those blossoms that are blooming today and growing your mushroom in a reduced oxygen environment, and yet, to my sensibility, they're a world apart. And I can't quite define yet what that is. So, let's think about that and begin to see what, what is the difference there between saying, oh, these are the best blossoms, or I'm going to pick this plant when it's growing here because it's more powerful, to actually manipulating in those ways. And there is some dividing line there that we're not quite sure about where it is. So the, the faux pharmacists who want to use herbs that are as much like drugs as they can be without actually having to go for a license. Right, actually, actually having to, to deal with regulations. And then at the far other extreme of herbalism, we have naked people rolling in fields of herbs. Right? <laughs> so these are kind of our two ends here, right? <laughs> if, it's not, if it's not a killer herb, it's, I'm not interested. Right? Don't even tell me the name. Roll, roll, roll. Right? I'm reminded of Ryan Drum talking about uh, being a single dad to his sons and getting to the point where he's going, I cannot believe the two little boys can make so many clothes dirty so fast. And finally he said to them, no clothes, you don't get any clothes, I don't like washing, you don't get to wear clothes anymore. <laughs> it was like, you know, they live in a small island, they live in Waldron, there's only 75 people there, so you could go naked, theoretically, and his sons did. And he noticed that because they were naked and running and rolling around outside, that they were actually getting the effects of the herbs dermally. So I really do mean, you know, from pharmacy to naked people rolling in the herbs. I would say I may be a little closer to the naked people in the herbs end here because I really devoted my life to introducing people to the concept that herbs don't have to be lethal in order to be effective. You know, one of the real delights of getting older is that you're not over the hill, you're on the hill, and you can look back <laughs> at your life and see if you have had any good ideas. <laughs> so at this point, at 61 and a half, 
Um, I can see three good ideas that I have had. I'm going to be talking about uh, one of my good ideas, which is the seven medicines, also known as the six steps of healing. Many of you are familiar with another one of my good ideas, which is the three traditions of healing. And then today we're talking about possibly the best of my good ideas, which is drink nourishing herbal infusions. Some of you already are, yes? Yes, yay, drink, nourishing, herbal infusion. I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more about that as we go through, but I want to start with a, a woman's story. She wrote to me, and uh, I wrote back to her, and I said, this is an amazing story. Can I have your permission to tell your story? She said, why do you think I wrote you? Please tell my story. So here's her story. In 1997, at the age of 57, she went to her doctor, and her doctor said, let's do a bone scan. And then her doctor called her and said, you have severe osteoporosis. Come back in. I'm giving you a prescription for drugs. You're going to start taking them. She said, no, I'm not. Right. And the doctor said, well, uh, uh, you have severe osteoporosis. Your bones are like nothing. And you're going to break a hip or worse. And she said, no, I'm not. I don't care. The doctor said, well, at least exercise. She said, no. The doctor said, take calcium. She said, no. I'm not going to say calcium. Now, that was actually a very wise decision. They did a study in um, Australia, and they followed about 35,000 women over the age of 55 for six and a half years. They didn't intervene in any way. They just enrolled the women in the study, and then they followed them for six and a half years. And what they found at the end of that six and a half years is that any woman who had taken a calcium supplement was twice as likely to break a bone irrespective of the amount of calcium in their diets. Think about it. A piece of chalk is calcium. Calcium carbonate, the most, calci most common calcium supplement, is chalk, and it makes your bones as strong as chalk. <laughs> Why should we be surprised that taking calcium supplements doubles the risk of breaking a bone. It drives out of the bone the flexibility minerals that actually keep your bones strong and healthy well into your 80s, 90s, and 100s. So, no, she said she wasn't taking drugs, she wasn't exercising, she was not taking calcium supplements, and her doctor, of course, thought that horrible things were going to happen. Within three years, she had lost three inches in height. By the time she was 60, she was three inches shorter than she had been at 57. How did she lose three inches in height? Her spine, the little bitty fractures in the vertebrae, and it makes the spine shrink down. So, needless to say, her doctor is like jumping up and down in a complete frenzy. You must take drugs, you must exercise, you must take calcium. Nah, 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 I don't care about any of that. I really don't care. She said, however... She mentioned to me, she was feeling very tired. And she did not like at all feeling so tired. Now, her daughter, June, had just graduated from my Live Out Apprenticeship program. And she said to June, so did you learn anything that can give me more energy? Now, let's see. If June had just graduated as an MD, what would she have suggested to her mother for energy? Probably coffee or, you know, you know one of these you know, high-energy drinks. You know, or even, uh, you know, I don't see TV much, but every once in a while I'm in a room, there's a TV on, and I think I see an ad for some drug for energy on TV now and then. So that would be like the scientific approach to that. If June had graduated from a program that is like most herbal medicine programs in this country, which is heroic, then she would have suggested that her mother take a stimulant. Let's name some stimulants that can be taken for energy. 
Mate is a stimulant that's taken for energy. Cayenne is a stimulant that's taken for energy. Ginger is a stimulant that's taken for energy. Ginseng can be a stimulant or it can be a tonic depending on how it's used and the age of the person. Where I live in the Catskills and ginseng still grows wild there, uh, the Sang hunters say that you take a piece of ginseng as big as the last digit of your little finger and you chew on it an hour a day for six weeks and that's it for the entire year. So if we use more ginseng than that and we use it on a daily basis, then we're getting usually a stimulating effect from it, especially if we're not using American ginseng. But if we restrict it, then we actually get a tonic effect from it. So it's a little different, whereas the other things are just straight out stimulants. June, however, having graduated from a wise woman apprenticeship, said to her mother, yes, I have the energy of the earth for you. And the energy of the earth is called nettle. All right, this is beautifully, beautifully dried stinging nettle. Um, I apparently did not get up early enough this morning. Um, I, went to, I left myself two hours to gather the herbs of this class, and Cheryl said, no, I'd have to walk further than that to find the nettle. So there is wild nettle growing around here. And uh, last night I made a nettle infusion when we had a little... Um, um, thing at my website, which is susanweed.com, and ask people of the nourishing herbal infusions that they drink, what is their favorite? Nettle was the winner by a huge amount. Although I certainly have had some people say, oh, no, no, that tastes like swamp water to me. <laughs> One of my friends is a psychotherapist, and she says when she gets a new client, the first thing that she does is she gives them a glass of nettle infusion. And she has them drink it, and she can tell uh, what they need to do together in the therapy according to how that person reacts to the nettle. She said nettle is the essence of self-love. And if people... Have you found that too, Rose Daughter? Yeah. Yeah, that, that person who goes, wow, that nettle tastes great, is a person who has no problem with self-love. The person who says, Ugh. Ah. we're going to need to deal with a little self-worth and self-love issues with that person, right? So um, interesting kind of way to uh, use her nettle infusion. Each of these nourishing herbal infusions are herbs that I have chosen for a variety of reasons. One of the first reasons is that they are very rich in protein. And what's the upper limit of protein in the human diet? There is none. There's no known upper limit for protein in the human diet. And there are amazingly healthy long-lived people who eat a diet that is virtually all protein. <coughs> all right, like the Maasai in Africa, whose diet is meat, blood, and milk. What's their diet? Very little else in their diet. They are the tallest, the strongest, the healthiest, and the longest-lived of all the peoples in Africa. All right, the people of the Great Plains here in the United States. Right, the Lakota, the Dakota, their diet was about 98% buffalo. Well, a few roots and berries thrown in. All right. Again, a tremendously strong and powerful people. The Inuit and all the different Inuits whose diet is primarily, you know, meat and fat. 
and a little bit of greens that they get out of birds' stomachs. Right? Whereas we find that throughout the world, there are no cultures that have chosen vegetarianism. Vegetarianism is enforced on people for two reasons. To make sure that we, the victors, keep them under our heel. To prevent them from being strong, healthy, and long-lived. Or to set up a religious distinction between us and them. And you go to India, you think, oh, well, Hinduism is vegetarian. Only among the lower echelons. Right. Again, this vegetarianism is simply a way to enslave people, and I call it the slowest legal form of suicide. Right. It's not healthy for us, nor is it healthy for the planet. All right. Partly because plant protein is not as effective and lacks some very important things. However, we can kick up the amount of plant protein that we get by drinking our nourishing herbal infusions, and nettle is over 10% protein. Many people think of nourishing as being something that's ri rather slow. Oh, well, if I'm going to make any change in somebody's health by nourishing them, that could take months or years. I do not think that's true. My experience, and I'd love to hear from other people here. This is the nettle infusion that I'm passing around. Um, many people find that they notice changes in their skin, their hair, their gums and their digestion within seven to day, seven to ten days of starting to drink nourishing herbal infusions, especially the nettle. Some of you who've been drinking infusions are working with them. What do you have to say about this? Have you noticed similar things happening with people? Yes, let me get up close to you. And you're nodding um, your the, head. The, the nettle works great when I do it. When you do it. On a consistent basis. And, yeah. and quickly. Yes, now I need one of those though. <laughs> <laughs> Mountain Rose Herbs gave that to oh, me. Okay. So Mountain Rose Herbs okay. is here and you can just go and get it. Okay. Yeah, that makes it easy, doesn't it? You gotta have a good strainer. I don't have a good strainer. So there you go, you gotta get the good strainer, alright. So consistency is important. You have to be consistent. You have to be pretty consistent in doing it, but then within days. Was there anybody over here who was saying yes who wanted to say something? Yeah. Um. I'm, gonna, I'm coming close so we get it on the microphone, right? And then I get to hug Vanessa too. <laughs> Drinking nettles constantly over months and years, I feel so more grounded to mm. Mm. and stronger in my whole body. And my nails are stronger. I mean, I don't even have to, they don't even break. Yes! And my hair is healthier. So. Pretty right on. Pretty right. Here, want to sip a nettle? Thank you. <laughs> mm. Mm. It's like milk. Isn't it? It is. It's really the milk of the earth. This quart of nettle infusion contains over a thousand milligrams of calcium. Now, I put one ounce by weight of dried nettle into my bag. How did I do that? Oh, you know what? Ha, ha, ha. I just gave you all the comfrey. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. This is the comfrey. All right. No, we're fine. <laughs> this is the nettle. <laughs> but where's the bag of nettle? We passed it around. That's why the bag of nettle isn't up here. Okay, good. We passed the bag of nettle around. So the bags each held four ounces, and I just used my fingers to divide them. That's half. That's a quarter. And then I put a quarter of what was in the bag in my jar because I didn't have a scale. And I mention that because people often say, well, how do you do it if you don't have a scale? Well, my first answer is... 
get over it by a scale. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can still remember those little, you know, back in your <clears throat> college days, we had that little little balance scale. Right? Cost a buck or two. They still cost a buck or two. You can still get them. It weighs up to four ounces. It's no problem. Right? <laughs> you just clip your baggie on there. You remember that. <laughs> you remember how to do that. You tear your baggie, you know. <laughs> Oh, Maggie weighs two grams. Okay. So you weigh your herb. It's really important to weigh the herb when you're making your infusion. And it's one ounce by weight of the dried herb. Now, how much nettle would that be if it was fresh herb? Four times. Exactly. Four times. So that would be a quarter pound of fresh herb. Let's see what would happen if we tinctured the nettle. So we're going to take a quarter pound of fresh nettle. That'll just about fit into a quart jar. How are we doing? Who hasn't gotten it yet? Way back here. All right, let's pass it around this way. All right, so we're going to take a quart jar, put a quarter pound of fresh nettle in it. We'll just barely be able to get it in there. Pour our menstruum over it, some kind of alcohol, and let it tincture. I usually let uh, my things tincture for six weeks. And we did that, and we took it to the laboratory, and that quart of nettle tincture contained 1,000 milligrams of calcium. Great. Who's going to drink a quart of nettle tincture a day? <laughs> I'm not. Maybe a, maybe a Russian maybe would. Right. Hey, a liter of vodka a day is not too much in Russia. Right. But most of us wouldn't. So if there's 1,000 milligrams of calcium in a quart of nettle tincture, Quick math here, how much calcium in one cup of nettle tincture? 250 milligrams of calcium. And how many ounces in a cup? Eight. Let's, just for the process of making our division easy, let's say there's 240 milligrams of calcium in a cup of nettle tincture. That means one ounce contains how much? 30 milligrams of calcium in a one ounce bottle of nettle tincture. Is that how much you're going to take as a dose? How much would you take as a dose? Usually a dropper full, right? How many dropper fulls in a one ounce bottle? <laughs> Approximately 40. How much calcium in one dropper full of nettle tincture? Well, 40 drops, 30 milligrams divided by 40. All right? Technically speaking, the answer is zero. <laughs> well, you buy a little package of snacks and it says zero grams trans fatty acids. It can be anything up to 0.9 and they can list it as zero. So long as it's under one, it's zero for food labeling. Which is why they've reduced the serving size. To be able to get under one. Exactly. Many of those things still contain trans fatty acids, but they've manipulated the numbers. So are we going to get much calcium from nettle tincture. That's why I say it doesn't have any calcium in it. Well, obviously it has some calcium in it, but not so that we can really make use of it because we're not going to even be downing a whole ounce, which would be 30 milligrams of calcium, which isn't much. Whereas it's easy for people to drink an entire quart of nettle infusion over a day, which gives them a thousand milligrams of calcium. So June's mom started drinking her nettle infusion. She said, all right, June, this is pretty easy. June, of course, got her a quart canning jar, got her a little strainer, bought her a quarter pound of the nettle, got her mom all set up, and she started making her infusion. And after a couple of weeks, she said to June, she said, wow, do I ever have energy. Anybody notice that from drinking the nettle? Yeah, 
energy, huh? I often tease the apprentices, most of whom are about a third my age. They say, look, I'm not going to ask you to work as hard as I do till you've been here a couple of weeks. <laughs> we'll build you up to it, right? Because they can't. They don't have the energy that nettle gives you, which, like Vanessa says, is this incredibly grounded energy. So you wake up, you have energy, 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 energy. Then you go to sleep. Right? I was so thankful for the nettle when I was stranded in San Francisco at one o'clock at night. I spent two hours looking for any room anywhere in San Francisco, none to be had. Then they wouldn't let us back into the boarding areas because it was too late in the airport. So I wound up sleeping for several hours on a concrete floor. All right, and I said, hooray for metal. Hooray for metal because I have the energy to do this. I'm not gonna be all cranky and grumpy because I got three hours sleep on a concrete floor. Right. I'm going to be annoyed. <laughs> They're not cranky and grumpy. Right. There's a difference. You, know, you say, hey, this isn't like the best way to do it. Right. I remember when airplanes used to give you hotel vouchers. Oh, well. <laughs> not anymore. So she said, June, I feel so good. This is great. I'm, you know, whoa, I'm loaded with energy here. Are there any more of those herbs that could give me more energy? And June said, well, yeah, actually, there are. There's um, oat straw. And there's red clover, and there's comfrey. And June so said, okay, and June got her, you know, quarter pound of each one of those, and she made the infusion. She said, I don't know about that comfrey. That comfrey tastes a little strange to me. She said, but the red clover I like a lot, and the oat straw I like a lot, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be drinking those as well. And in her letter to me, she said that her routine became every Sunday evening, she would make a quart of nettle infusion and a quart of red clover infusion. And then Monday morning, she would strain those, just like you saw me straining it, and put the liquid into another jar, cap it tightly, and put it in the refrigerator. 10% protein. I suggest that you treat the infusions as though they were blood. You would not leave blood sitting out on your counter all day, right? Because you'd say, hey, wait a second, that's blood, that will spoil. Okay, so think of this, especially the, the nettle, as the blood of plants that you are consuming to get that same nourishment because they're rich in minerals, rich in protein. Bacteria like them too. Right. So as soon as you strain it, refrigerate it. The infusions, depending on the air temperature when you brood it, will last anywhere from 28 to 48 hours in the refrigerator. So basically you want to do the pretty much at the time that you're going to be using them. So every Sunday night she made herself a quart of nettle, a quart of red clover, strained them the next morning. You notice that I squeezed the plant material to get all the good out of it. And I will repeat to you um, what one of the Maori elders that I have spent time with said to me in this kind of casual, offhand way that elders have of laying the world's most important truth on you. You know, if you're not really paying attention, it just goes right past you. And she just, you know, kind of casually said, don't expect any plant to help you if you throw it in the trash. <laughs> and you know you have heard the word of truth from the plants. Don't expect them to help you if you just throw them in the trash. Well, what do I do? I live in the city. Hey, I'm in Manhattan and I make my infusion. The spent herb goes in a baggie. The baggie goes in my pocket. You go down 
uh, elevator and you go out and hey, you know, there's plants everywhere. Put your spent infusion under the tulips in Park Avenue or in Central Park. Or, I've never been anywhere on the plant. There's somewhere you can put the leaves uh, from the infusion black back onto the earth. Not in the plastic bags. Just like on the plastic. No, no, no. Empty the plastic bag. Put that back in your pocket. You can reuse it several times. And then on uh, Wednesday night, she'd make a quart of nettle and a quart of oat straw. And that, that's what she drank. And she said uh, in uh, two years later, in 2002, she was back at her doctor. This is now five years after the original diagnosis, but two years of drinking nourishing herbal infusions. And her doctor said to her, well, I'm so glad to see you finally joined an exercise class. <laughs> she said, I haven't joined an exercise class. Her doctor says, well, okay, well, then you've been taking calcium supplements. She's not taking any calcium supplements. The doctor said, wait. You've gone to another doctor and gotten a prescription for drugs? She said, no. He says, well, then can you explain to me why your bones are more dense? And why you don't have osteoporosis anymore? In fact, now you have osteopenia? She said, well, I have no idea. <laughs> and she didn't. Because why was she drinking the infusions? For energy. As far as she was concerned, these infusions were for energy. She had absolutely no idea. Right then, it, two years after that, in 2004, she was back at the doctor's, and the doctor says, let's just go over this again. You're not going to an exercise class? She said, no way. He says, not taking any kind of supplement? Calcium? Calcium? No, no, I don't take this. And you're not taking drugs? No. He says, well, I don't know what to say. You have the bone mass of a 40-year-old woman. Right? So she was 57 in 97. By 2004, she's 64 years old, right? Right? And she now has the bone mass of a 40-year-old woman. And the doctors go in, huh? Because they don't think this can happen, do they? They absolutely do not believe that anyone can reverse osteoporosis by diet, which is what this would be considered. And yet... This is not an isolated story. I'm simply telling her story because it has a lot of wonderful detail to it. But I know thousands of women who have reversed severe osteoporosis by doing nothing more than drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion a day. Now, I saw a hand up over there, which might be a question. That's okay. That's right. So, let me just say a little something about questions. I have no objection to questions. However, you might have an objection to my answers. <laughs> it happens. It happens. People get wildly offended by my answers because I am not going to coddle your ego. So understand that if you raise your hand, you are putting your ego on the line. And if it's delicate, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand. Maybe you just want to write your question out on a piece of paper and deposit it up here. And then I can answer your question without anybody knowing it's you and your ego will be preserved. Right, I just did a four-day Greenwich Intensive at um, the Wise Woman Center. And this woman was just whataboutting me unmercifully. And finally, the fourth or fifth time that she did it, I said to her, I'm sorry, to be my student, you actually have to ask questions. You're not allowed to just whatabout. She left. She left. She got it. She had paid for the entire four-day intensive. It was the first day she got in her car and drove away because she was so offended by my answer. I didn't mean to be offensive. The apprentices said you were so mild with her. I hardly believe it. My goodness. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, and then, you know, there's times when, you know, somebody says, I'm thinking of opening a vegetarian restaurant. What do you think about that? I think, oh, please, why, why are you going to ruin people's health? <laughs> Don't do that. What a crazy idea. You know, so I would know that that would hurt their, their ego. Right. So I'm just warning you. Okay. Ego on the line here. <laughs> Could you expand a little bit more on the vegetarianism thing? That really goes against so much common knowledge. That common knowledge? Yeah, well, let's look around the world if we're talking about common knowledge. Okay. How many people in the world are vegetarians by choice? Less than 1%. What is that? So what, what are we talking about? Common knowledge here. Less meat is true. No meat is sick. Okay. <laughs> okay? That's all I'm saying. There are substances in red meat, specifically heme, that you can't get from anything else. Heme is a component of blood. If you don't eat things with blood, you don't get heme. Heme combines in your body to form hemoglobin and carries oxygen to every cell in your body. What's the first symptom of not getting enough oxygen? You get cold. How many cold vegetarians do you know? <laughs> They're literally starving their cells for oxygen. Is this healthy? No, absolutely not. Heme is so important to our life and well-being that we conserve it. The less we get, the less we use. We try our best to conserve heme. Most people can conserve heme for seven to ten years, and then they fall off what I call the vegetarian high. And it's not just one health problem. Those of us who are dealing with people's problems deal over and over and over again with a whole host of problems that occur to vegetarians sometime between years 8 and 12 of their mistaken path of eating. Right? And if you've been working at all, I'm sure you've seen it. And if you're not there yet, we hope you won't be. I'm certainly not saying you should eat bacon for breakfast, bologna for lunch, and hamburger for dinner, right? That's not what we're talking about. Most people in the world eat meat occasionally, once a month. All right? But vegetarianism makes you a slave. Right? It, it makes you think that it's common knowledge. See how enslaved you become? Well, I actually agree with you. Yeah. But I'm just thinking along, the, along these circles. So, right. So, right. it's not common yeah. knowledge. Right. It's like being told main, uh, the mainstream is that women take hormone replacement at menopause. There was never any point in America where any more than 50% of the women accepted a prescription for hormones from their doctor. And there was never any point in America in which more than one-third of those women ever refilled it. So one-third of 50 is 17% is the highest number of American women who were ever taking hormones at one time, and we were told that was mainstream and all women were doing it. So you have to watch out when you say common knowledge and mainstream, because it's not, usually. It's usually a real splinter group that is trying to pass themselves off as the main thing or the common knowledge. So red clover is everything that you hoped soy would be without any of soy's problems. And believe me, it is becoming far more common knowledge that soy is loaded with problems. If you really want to damage your health, soy is a great way to do it. <laughs> the uh, public health 
ministry in Israel set up a commission to look into soy. They wanted to know if they should recommend to Israeli citizens that they should eat soy. And this commission sat for three years. And they looked at every, what they called, good study on soy ever done. And at the end of three years, they put out their recommendation. And their recommendation uh, was put out in 2005. And what uh, they recommended was that no person under the age of 18 consume soy in any form. They felt that it was just too dangerous for young people and that people over the age of 18 could use their own sense to determine whether or not they wanted to eat something that would lead to breast cancer, heart disease, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, and thyroid problems. So, red clover. <laughs> Everything you wanted soy to be with none of soy's problems. Red clover is in fact really loaded with phytoestrogens. I ask uh, James Duke, my uh, good buddy in the what's in it department. As a matter of fact, uh, James Duke and I met very, very early on when I was just a little baby herbalist. Uh, I wrote to James and I said, I've been reading that native people used slippery elm as food. See, even back then I was interested in herbs as food. I said, what's in it? And he wrote back, he said, I have no idea. And he tells me that that was the genesis of his database. You know, he now has a database of what's in every herb. And it was that question, what's in it? He says, I don't know. Hmm, I should know. All right. So um, I asked him, I said, you know, in terms of phytoestrogens, where is soy? He said, in the bottom half. If you take a list of just beans, soy is in the bottom half in terms of beans. Lima beans have more phytoestrogens. Black beans have more phytoestrogens. Pinto beans have more phytoestrogens. So soy, you have to understand that the soy industry is enormous. And as a matter of fact, the soy industry is um, just in terms of retail volume, you know, something like 25 times richer than the milk industry. And yet people have all these conspiracy theories about the milk industry and totally ignore the real conspiracy, which is the soy industry. So uh, why do we even want phytoestrogens? We want phytoestrogens because phytoestrogens um, help prevent breast cancer and do a wide variety of other helpful things in our body. Red clover is also very high in protein. It can be up to 20% protein. Yeah. Where's our uh, Mountain Rose cup? Did that get emptied? Is it back over here? Great. Just hiding back there. People who like black tea usually really like red clover. I don't like black tea. So I usually put just a little hint of mint in my red clover. Is it going to get it back here? Somebody from way back there want to come up and grab the cup? Pass it back? Yeah. Who's your what's in it gun? James. James stupid, he's not a guy. Uh, a guy is a weird and distorted man who tried to blow up British Parliament, failed, was hung, and is hung in effigy every year on November 1st because he's a guy. Okay, now here's the deal. Words create a reality. I have been telling people for over a decade that if we keep calling each other guys, we're going to wind up with a guy for president. Okay. 
it's your choice. You want another guy, keep calling everybody guys. Why am I on about this? Because I personally spent 10 years of my life changing the language to include women. When I grew up, it was man and his world, and women were just supposed to go along with it. It was the chairman and the fireman and the postman, and it was all man, man, man. And a few of us said, we don't like this. We don't like this at all. Who chairs the meeting now? The chair guy? The chairperson? Who puts out the fire? The fire guy? The fire fighter? We have changed the language to include women, and you are throwing it away. You're throwing your place in this culture away by calling people a guy. And I'm not just picking on her. I'm talking to every single one of you. Every time you open your mouth and say guy, as a woman, you are throwing away your rights. And don't think you can't throw them away. Don't think they can't take away the rights that we have worked very hard to get for ourselves because they can, and language is the start of it. As soon as you start thinking of yourself as a guy, then you no longer need the rights and protections that we have gotten for you. I grew up in Dallas in the 50s, and I got to tell you, gang, it was nigger this, nigger that. And nobody thought anything about it. And anybody said, nigger's a bad word, we would have laughed at them and said, that's just what we call. Everybody called everybody a nigger. Guy is more offensive than nigger. Far more offensive. Because it targets women. James Duke, Dr. James Duke, has a website. And from his website, you can get to his database. It doesn't tell you what any of the things in the plants do. But it will tell you what's in it. So you say, hey, what's in burdock? And you get like five pages of what's in burdock. Right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of constituents. Red clover is very high in protein. Red clover is also the world's most established, reputable, dependable anti-cancer herb. And it's primarily grown to feed pregnant and lactating cows. Right. Now, some things we have, you know, choices about, some things we don't have choices about. I didn't exactly have the choice to be living in Dallas in the 50s when not only did people call everybody nigger, but the U.S. chose to set off, what was it, several hundred atomic bombs in Nevada? And the fallout blew south, all right? And the women in Hiroshima, who were the most likely to get breast cancer, were the ones whose breasts were developing when the atomic bombs dropped. In other words, before your breasts start to develop, that radiation is not much of an issue. After your breasts are developed, it's not much of an issue. But if you're exposed to that radiation while your breast cells are developing, you run a much higher lifetime risk of cancer. So I drink at least a quart of red clover infusion every week, given that there is that in my puberty, in my, in my childhood at the time that this was happening. So if you feel that you have any reason at all to worry uh, that you might be that one out of two people who dies of cancer, <laughs> you might want to drink some red clover. <laughs> now, I hesitate ever to say that any herb is 100%, because that's just in the realm of myth and magic. 
So you will know that I hesitate very much to tell you that at this point, 100% of the women who've told me that they want to have a baby have had a baby after drinking red clover infusion. Women who are 57 years old have babies. Women who weigh 400 pounds have babies. Women who have severe diabetes have babies. Women whose tubes are blocked have babies. Women with endometriosis have babies. Women with fibroids have babies. Women who've tried for 10 years and haven't conceived have babies. I don't know what to tell you, except if you don't want to have a baby, be very careful with the red clover. <laughs> Lesbianism. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the answer to drinking red clover and not having a baby? <laughs> so lots of uh, really wonderful things. And in addition, of course, not only is the, net the nettle and the red clover high in protein, but they're tremendous powerhouses of minerals. Red clover also being just, if you've ever tried to dig up red clover roots, you know both how deep they go and how far out they go and those are mineral searching roots and they pull all of those minerals back into that and we, we get the benefit of that, that mineral richness. Now oat straw, the other one that June's mom was drinking, is the herb of libido. It is said that there are two kinds of testosterone in our bodies unbound testosterone which is hormonally effective and bound testosterone which is present but has no effectiveness because it's bound up and oat straw unbinds the bound testosterone and testosterone is considered the hormone of libido of sexual desire so if you drink oat straw one day with your sweetie and red clover the next day with your sweetie send me the baby picture <laughs> Uh, oh, this one really locked on there. Yeah. I don't prefer milky oat straw. I prefer oat straw. I don't want the milky tops in my oat straw. It's too expensive. Just too expensive to buy it that way. If you grow it, you know, you could do the milky tops if you want to, but I find that the actual stalk of the plant, the oat straw, just, you know, like turkey and straw, the straw is more nourishing than the actual oats itself. Unless I'm going to eat the oats, right? Hey, I have nothing against oatmeal. But in terms of making my infusion, I don't buy the oat straw that has the oats with it. Right. Now, my goal here is to show you that you can spend less than $30 a month to get every vitamin and every mineral that you will need and to get you to stop taking drugs because I don't like drugs and I've never seen drugs make people healthy. You're going, what drugs is she talking about? Supplements are drugs. Make no mistake about it. Supplements are drugs. A recent study found that people who consume 300 milligrams of vitamin C supplement a day or more double their lifetime risk for diabetes. 
So all of those of you who are addicted to emergency might want to reconsider what you are doing there. All right, the human body has very small need for ascorbic acid and it's an incredible stress on our bodies to give it that much ascorbic acid. Your daily need for ascorbic acid is 60 milligrams. 60 milligrams. More than that, you're really putting a severe stress on your body tissues. And this goes across the board for all of the supplements. Two pounds of herb a month. All right? That's 24 pounds of herb a year. All right? So you buy five pounds of nettle, five pounds of oat straw, five pounds of red, com of red clover, five pounds of comfrey. Cheaper price when you buy it, five pounds at a time. All right? And the wholesale prices on these herbs, I think red clover is the highest and red clover is up to about $15 a pound wholesale now. So you're still using an ounce of herb a day or $30 or under. The oat straw is about $7 a pound. Comfrey's running $6 or $7 a pound. Nettles, I think, up to about $8 a pound. All right, in quantity. So in this way, your average American at this point is spending over $100 a month on supplements. And you all are spending on average $250 a month on supplements. How much healthier could you be if you spent $30 a month on herbs and had the other $200 to do healthy things for yourself? Here's what I suggest. Take 100 of those dollars, invest it in something sound. I am not an investment advisor. I have no license to tell you this, but tax. World Fund, the Peace World Fund is a solid investment, a great place to put your money. It hardly fluctuates at all, even as the market goes up and down. They use all of the profits to promote peace, and they promote peace in direct ways by, for instance, uh, putting uh, 500 solar water stills into villages in Africa. This is a theoretical piece. This is, where does war come from? War comes from fighting over resources. So let's give everybody resources and we can create peace. The other $100 you invest immediately in your own health. Buy organic butter. Get a massage. Right? Take a day off from work. Whatever you want to do, that $100 a month gets immediately invested in your health. The other $100 gets invested just in case disaster happens. <laughs> and you need some money. But this is what you can do with that money you have been wasting, and I truly mean it, wasting on supplements. A few egos on the line here. <laughs> I'm wondering, is that true for even when you're not feeling well, when you're sick, you know, how you're the, told to The worst to time to take any supplement is when you're feeling sick. Supplements are drugs. Would you take drugs when you were feeling sick? No. No, then let's not take drugs in soft form. The fact that you don't need a prescription for them is only because this industry is incredibly wealthy and has prevented every attempt we've ever made to cause them to put the truth on their labels. Women who take more than 5,000 international units of vitamin A on a daily basis double their risk of fracturing a hip. It goes on and on and on. One of the worst things you could do for yourself is to take supplements. So it's a conspiracy, isn't it? I wouldn't go so far as to say conspiracy. Have you ever been in a meeting and tried to get people to agree? 
I have a really hard time believing in conspiracies, given how hard it is to get even a small group of people to agree. But what we do have is a very powerful and well-moneyed industry that sells the farming community chemicals and tells them they can't farm without them, and then tells us that those chemicals are taking the nutrition out of the food and sells us supplements. And it's exactly the same industry that is selling to both sides of that spectrum. So you have to understand every bit of money that you put into their pockets buying supplements goes to putting more chemicals on the land for farming. Not exactly what you want. So let's drop out of the middle of this power play and go back to the earth and drink our nourishing herbal infusions. I have a group of apprentices in Florida. They said, you have to come to Florida and teach an apprenticeship. I said, temperatures over 60 make me faint. I can't deal with coming to Florida. Forget it. <laughs> and they said, well, we live in Florida. We don't leave Florida. What can you say? You know, Floridians. So I said, all right, you know, I need this and this and this and this and this. And they gave me everything that I demanded. And so I said, all right. And we did an apprenticeship over a series of long weekends. And... Um, and they said, ha, ah, and now we're not done with you. Now you have to come back every year for a long four-day weekend, and so we get to continue on. We'll be meeting for our 13th year this winter, obviously. I only went in the wintertime. Uh, about in our 10th year, um, and when we get together the first day, it's generally like the whole day is talking stick because we're so, we really want to find out what's going on with each other and what's happened in your life, and it just takes a long time for us to really hear each woman. So one of the women said, well, do I ever have a story to tell you all this year? She said, where I work changed insurers, health insurers, and so I had to go for a physical. And after I had the physical, the doctor who examined me called me up and said, your blood work is coming and there's something terribly wrong with you. You have to come in here right now for all these tests. She says, my gosh, I feel so good. What could be wrong with me that you could see in my blood? She says, minerals. There's lots and lots of minerals in your blood and this is wrong. And she said, well, I think it's because I've been drinking nourishing herbal infusions for 10 years. Oh, there's no other world that can put this amount of minerals in your, in your blood. You probably have a tumor on your parathyroid. <laughs> so she was sufficiently frightened by this person to go in. Of course, they did the test. There was no tumor on her parathyroid. There was nothing at all wrong with her. It was the nourishing herbal infusions that she had been drinking, although they didn't want to hear that. And still, you know, as far as they were concerned, something was terribly wrong with her. They just couldn't figure it out. And she should go home and be very afraid until whatever it was, you know, like took her out. The talking stick, you know, slowly moved from woman to woman and several hours later, Katie gets the talking stick and she looks at her and she said, I can't believe you told us that. She said, exactly the same, well, almost exactly the same thing happened to me. She said, you know, I, I work at this school and they changed insurers and we all had to go for, you know, little physicals. She said, and they took some blood and then I got a call from the physician who had examined me. He said, Katie. Yes, he says, I just want you to know, you know, that when I examined you, I thought, this is the healthiest 50-something woman I have ever looked at in my life. He says, I can't believe, you know, the muscle tone and the skin, and she's just, woo, you know, breathing. Well, he says, your blood work has just come back. He says, Katie, I can't believe what I'm seeing in your blood. He says, you have more minerals in your blood, more antioxidants in your blood than I've ever seen in anybody's blood. And he says, your blood is healthier than a child's blood. He said, and here you are in your mid-50s. He said, I would expect to see your blood like really, you know, not this well nourished. She said, at that point, his, his voice dropped two octaves and he said to her, Katie, what brand of supplements do you take? <laughs> 
So Katie, of course, said to him, Doc, what you're seeing is nourishing herbal infusions in my blood. That's where all those minerals and antioxidant vitamins are coming from. So I want you to know that although Michael Moore did not want to talk to us about nettle, did his best to refuse, in fact, to talk to us about nettle, although we kept bringing him nettle and saying, talk about this, and he'd kind of throw it aside and said, never killed anybody, not an herb, not medicine, forget it. And we kept harassing the man, talk to us about nettle, talk to us about nettle. Talk. So finally, he said, all right, I have something I can tell you about nettle. And you know, one of, one of Michael's real strengths is he makes physiology and anatomy fascinating and like, you think, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. You know, he's just like so whoa, into the little minuta of how we work. Just staggering. So he says, this is what I can tell you about nettle. He says, the minerals in nettle are the opposite valence of the blood. Yeah, what does that mean? What's a valence? An electrical charge, okay? Every mineral has an electrical charge or a valence, all right? So what, what would happen if the minerals in nettle were the opposite valence of the blood? They get attracted, right? So what I have seen, that's a long train. <laughs> And I know it's getting on the recording, too, which is why I'm kind of stalling hard. There's the caboose. All right. <laughs> Soon we will have end of train noise. And what I have seen, I have talked about by saying, it seems to me that when we drink these infusions, that they go directly into the blood without digestion. Does anybody else have that experience? That it feels like when you drink the infusion, it's like an ivy. Yeah, you just like just right into the blood. Doesn't matter if the stomach's working. Doesn't matter if the gut's working. Well, now we have an explanation for this. The stuff in these infusions. He only talked about nettle, but I'm going to guess it's true of all of them. Is the opposite valence. These minerals are the opposite valence of the blood, and so they're literally magnetically attracted to the blood, without any real need for digestion. We've digested the plant by drying it and then brewing it. All right, that's, that constitutes all the digestion that is needed. One of my uh, students in MD who works in the emergency room in the Bronx, she's a single mom of five teenage daughters. She says she goes to work for relaxation. <laughs> She says, hey, in the emergency room, there's only gunshots and knife wounds. And, you know. <laughs> so she goes in to, to work one day, and they wheel on a gurney in a MD that she knows. She's Pisani. And I actually know Pisani, too, because she's brought, brought him up to the wise woman. So she said, Pisani, what's wrong? She said, Pisani says, oh, Noreen, I went to visit home in India. I must have drunk something bad. I've had bloody diarrhea now, lost 15 pounds in 36 hours. You don't have to be a medical professional to know. That's life-threatening. That is life-threatening, right? How many people on the planet will die today from constipation? 
<laughs> so far as we know, nobody ever died of constipation. How many people today on this planet will die of diarrhea? Hundreds of thousands. The biggest killer of children on the planet is diarrhea. All right? You must understand that a normal amount of bowel movements for a human being is anywhere from three to eight a week. More than one bowel movement a day is considered a pathological symptom. You are losing dramatically when you have more than one bowel movement a day. We need, especially as herbalists, to be more concerned with slowing people down than speeding them uh, up. So one of the interns said to Noreen, oh my goodness, we just drew blood and his electrolytes are like, whoa, nowhere. Should we give him a transfusion? Noreen says, you're killing him. You give him blood. We're killing his electrolytes. are so messed up. You give him whole blood, you're going to kill him. The injured said, what are we going to do? Noreen says, well, I guess we have to give him my nettle infusion. <laughs> she had just grabbed her jar. You know, it's one of those warnings where you just grab your jar and go. You don't even bother to strain it. You strain it through your teeth if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she felt lucky to get the kids out. And um, so they strained the nettle infusion. They gave it to Bassani. She showed me the blood work. Within 15 minutes, you could see the electrolytes starting to come up. Within two hours, his blood was fully rehydrated with minerals, and he was sitting up and starting to feel a lot better. Then they could actually start to deal with the diarrhea and give him some things to work with that. All right, so we, we have, you know, both anecdotal tales and some pretty solid medical scientific evidence that these minerals are going directly and immediately. Oh, now the train's going the other way. <laughs> Is it the same train backing up? <laughs> the delights of teaching outside. Usually you just have to put up with birds. Squirrels. I once in an outdoor class we had two snakes come from opposite directions, meet in the middle, mate, and then go off. I mean, talk about being upstaged. You know, <laughs> We'll just wait class till these snakes are done. Because half the class was avidly peering in, the other half of the class was just as avidly backing away as far as they could. Two big black snakes. These, these black, you know, we have black snakes where I live and they get six, eight, ten feet long. They're big snakes and they're just so loving. They really, you know, I love them in my barn because you want to see Susan freaked out and watch a rat run over her foot in the barn. She's hanging by her fingertips from the ceiling. All right, black snakes, no rats, no mice. Thank you, black snakes. Okay, they do eat a few baby bunnies. It's true. <laughs> Everything's got to make a living, so, you know, all right. <laughs> it is. It's going backwards now. That's so unbelievable. <laughs> well, we're glad to see the train still working. <laughs> Oat straw. It can be about 20% protein. And I find that it's the infusion that spoils the fastest. How does that straw taste? Does it taste nice? And Okay, so I was a little worried because when I picked it up this morning, there were already a few little bubbles on the top. And you can actually, if the air temperature is hot enough, I made these kind of early last night because I really did want to get to bed a little bit earlier, get a little extra sleep in last night. So usually I would set up the infusions, oh, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I made these around 8 o'clock last night. I said, yeah, I hope, I hope we'll be okay for 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, and we were. But in that amount of time, your oat straw can actually go off. 
And if your infusion has gone off or spoiled, it's going to be bubbly. It's going to smell kind of rotten. It's going to taste not so nice. What do you do with it at that point? Well, you have two good choices as well as a host of other choices. But the two best choices are you use it as plant food or you pour it over your head. These all make great hair rinses. They're just spectacular for your hair. You know, I had a wonderful apprentice named Kayla who lives in Kansas City. And Kayla went home to Kansas City and said, throw away your vitamins, drink infusions. They said, oh, poor Kayla. She went to Woodstock and lost her mind. <laughs> it's okay, Kayla. That's fine. We all know you have to take supplements to be healthy. You can't just drink herbs. Come on. So Kayla, being a very intelligent person, rather than arguing with them, it created a small experiment that people could make. And you can make this experiment yourself. It starts by going out and buying two plants exactly the same. Can you do that? Pretty easy, isn't it? You go to any greenhouse, you can not only buy two plants that look the same, they're probably clones. Right? They're exactly the same. You take those two plants home and you do the same thing with them, right? You put them both in the same spot. Some people even like to change them, you know, every day. So they get really exactly the same amount. You go, uchi to one plant, you go, uchi to the other. You go, nah, one, you go, nah. You treat them exactly the same, except for this one difference. Once a week, you're going to water one of the plants with a nourishing herbal infusion. Your choice, any of them. And the other plant only gets water. Well, now that's not exactly fair. So let's even it up. The plant that gets the water also gets one of each supplement that you take pushed into the soil. <laughs> that's fair, isn't it? <laughs> Why are you all laughing? We want to treat both of these plants well. So one of them we're going to give nourishing herbal infusion and the other one we're going to give supplements to. Oh, the supplements are the pills. The pills. The supplements you take, you're going to push into the soil of that plant. Well, isn't that why you're taking the supplements to be healthy? So we're going to, we want the plant to be healthy. What do you suppose happens here? The plant with the supplements dies. You got it right on. Give it a try. All right? Do you need it to be laid out any more clearly for you? Depends on how many supplements you're taking. <laughs> I don't take any supplements. There you go. So you don't even need to make this experiment. So, uh, uh, have, you, have you done that with just the water? Just water versus... The just water versus... Yes. And what I find is, uh, for instance, I have a nice rose in a pot. And last year, uh, we started watering it with um, actually specifically rotted nettle that we made for the plants. You know, when we pick nettle to eat in soup, we just take the leaves off the stalks because the stalks are too fibrous for soup. And then we take those stalks and we put them in a five-gallon plastic bucket and cover it with water, put a lid on it, and let it rot for a couple of weeks. And then we put that horrifically stinky, I mean, it really smells stuff, on our plants. The rose bush doubled in size. Right? It's never had more than three roses on it. It started this spring with 25 roses. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> you can just make infusion for your plants. You don't have to wait until yours isn't good enough anymore. All right, so we, we now specifically make it for the plants. Nettle is the easiest one because we have it and we grow it. But when I was going to pick comfrey, there were a whole bunch of dead comfrey stalks there. Those would be great. Same thing, thrown into a bucket, covered in water, allowed to rot, and then fed back to the plants. And any of these infusions are fabulous, fabulous plant foods. They're rich in protein, nitrogen to the plants. They're rich in minerals. 
they're rich in vitamins, and they're also rich in growth substances. So just phenomenal in your garden. Couple more questions. Yeah, they're from the woman who doesn't take supplements. <laughs> was it your hand asking a question? Yes, it was. Uh, the four nourishing uh, infusions that you're recommending, do any of them have kidney toxicity? The ideal here is that we don't use any herb that has any poison in it to make an infusion. So let's ask ourselves, what are the poisons that we find in plants? Well, the first poison that most people are aware of in plants is alkaloids, right? Most people know about alkaloids. Alkaloids are alkaline reacting large molecules usually named for the plant they're first found in with an I-N-E at the end. So the alkaloid in coffee is? Caffeine. The alkaloid in asparagus is? Asparagine. Alright. The alkaloid that is in many bitter yellow plants first found in Berberus vulgaris is? Berberine, the alkaloid in tobacco. What's the botanical name of tobacco? Nicotiana, and the alkaloid is nicotine. So we do not want to use plants that contain alkaloids for our infusions. Glycosides, another class of poisons in plants. What's glyco or glycogen or glucose? Sugar. And what's aside? We have homicide, pesticide, herbicide, fratricide. Aside means killer. So these are killer sugars. Right? Glycosides are killer sugars. There are so many glycosides and so many ways that glycosides have of killing you that we subdivide them. We have hepatic glycosides destroy your liver. Renal glycosides destroy your kidneys. Cardiac glycosides do something bad to your heart. And cyanogenic glycosides turn you blue by causing you to stop breathing like poison hemlock. So we don't want plants that contain glycosides for infusions. Glycosides and alkaloids tend to be produced by plants growing in rich soils. Right? Especially in a woodland setting where you have a deep humus and especially perennial plants are going to be more likely to produce alkaloids and glycosides because they are fairly large and complicated molecules. In more desert settings with poor soils, less rainfall, and hotter, harsher environment, plants are going to produce as their poisons resins and volatile oils. Right? I had a student some years ago, she said, I started an herb garden last year and I was growing rosemary and thyme and sage and marjoram, she said, and I gave them the best soil and I fertilized them every week and I watered them all the time and they just did really bad. She said, this year I'm going to give them more fertilizer, lots of compost, and I'm installing an irrigation system. What's the problem here? Poor soil. These plants want poor soil, and they want to be just about half dead before you water them. Because that's going to cause them to produce the greatest amount of volatile oils. And volatile oils are poisons. I was picking chamomile in Holland. A woman comes up to me and says, uh, I just want you to know that the wild chamomile here in Holland contains so much azuline, that's the volatile oil in chamomile, that if you brew that for more than 10 minutes, you're, more than two minutes, you're going to wind up in the hospital. Right. And most of us think of chamomile as a very benign herb, so long as you make a tea of it by brewing a small amount for a very short time. We're using a large amount of herb here and we're brewing it for a long time. Anybody ever left a pot of chamomile tea overnight? 
<laughs> Pretty bad, huh? Poison. You can see the azulene as an oily scum on top of the pot of chamomile. All right. So we would not want to make an infusion from chamomile or mint or thyme or rosemary. Right? Anything that contains a volatile oil, we don't want to make an infusion. And then resins, our last category of poison. Rinsin is possibly the most poisonous substance that we know of. Rinsin is a resin derived from castor beans. And if you have a vial of rinsin, take a pin, put it in the rinsin, and then prick someone with the pin, they will die. That's how poisonous rinsin is. So we don't want resins, which are poisonous. We don't want myrrh. We don't want um, poplar buds. We don't want um, chaparral. We don't want spilanthes. Those are all resinous plants, right? We don't want to make infusions of plants that contain resins, volatile oils, alkaloids, or glycosides. So, None of these plants here contain those things, and thus, according to Michael Moore, they're not medicine, because they can't kill you, which is where we started, right? Right. So, these are not medicines, they are foods. If I suggested that it would be healthy for you to eat whole wheat and well-cooked greens, would you ask me if there were kidney destroyers in that? Probably not, because it's food. As a matter of fact, nettle is the herb that will rebuild your kidneys and adrenals. And I have had dozens of people now who were told that they were going into renal failure, work with stinging nettle infusion, and be completely out of that realm of renal failure. I even had one woman walk up to me and say, you know, years and years ago I heard you talking about nettle and you said it would rebuild the kidneys. And I said, yeah, right, that's one of those herbalist exaggerations. She said, until my doctor told me that my kidneys were failing and he was putting me on a list for a kidney transplant, as a matter of fact. He said, you're heading for dialysis and your kidneys are failing so fast, dialysis isn't going to keep you alive very long, so I'm going to put you down for a kidney transplant right now. She said, and suddenly your voice came back to me saying, stinging nettle will rebuild your kidneys. And she said, I thought to myself, well, the doctor offers me no hope at all. Maybe this crazy herbalist does have something to say after all. So she said, I went out and I bought a pound of nettle. I started making my nettle infusion. She said, I want you to know I'm off the list for kidney transplant and I never had to go on dialysis. So, kind of the obverse of your question, which one of these herbs will rebuild your kidneys and your adrenals? Stinging nettle. It's one of the reasons it gives us such powerful, powerful energy. These are foods. They're not drugs. They're foods. We don't take them, we drink them. Yeah. And we're looking at real nourishment here. And so long as we're not using plants that contain poisons, then we truly are nourishing ourselves. There was another question back behind her there. Did I see a hand up there? Here. So, uh, I'm making an assumption here, but along the same lines then, you can drink them daily without needing to alternate them? I have drunk at least a quart of nourishing herbal infusion daily for over 25 years. Same. Should you, um... Why? Well, let me ask you this. Could you eat brown rice every day? Yeah. In, in other words, it wouldn't physiologically be a problem. 
you get bored. You get horribly bored. That's true, huh? But it wouldn't, again, these are foods, yes? Yes. So nettle, nettle would be the equivalent of kale. Could you eat kale every day? Would it be a problem eating kale every day? No. No, the only problem would be boredom. And that's why I don't mix the infusions together. Right? Because I don't want you to get bored. So you can have nettle one day, red clover the next day, oat straw the next day, and have some variety in your life. But if I know people who've drunk a quart of nettle every day for four years, no problem. It's food. It's food. There are plenty of people on the planet who do eat rice every single day. Three meals a day, huh? Yeah. I'm sorry, that's a lie. Yeah, there's. A, so tell me, do you build up a tolerance to kale? You think we're going to build up a tolerance to protein? Tolerance to minerals, calcium, magnesium, tolerance to vitamins? It doesn't make any sense, does it? No. This is information from people who would like to um, keep you coming back to buy their product. All right? Not from people who want you to know that you are powerful and this is people's medicine. Do you understand the difference? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of commercialism going on in herbalism, isn't there? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we risk um, our credibility by our commercialism. Right, so I will go way, way, way out on the end of a branch here, and I truly understand that the vast majority of my peers do not agree with this statement, but I do not think that it is ethical for any herbalist who is dealing with people to sell any plant. Fresh, dried, tinctured, or encapsulated. Would you want to go to a doctor that sold you drugs? Do you want to have a doctor say you need to take this drug and the, then you go to, to the doctor's receptionist and the receptionist sells you the drug? Would you even want the doctor to be heavily invested in that drug company? So how can we be credible if we do things that we wouldn't want other healers to do? I think that this is critically important for us to understand that, you know, we're losing a lot of faith in regular medical circles because we sell what we prescribe and this should never be done to my mind thank you for agreeing I understand most people don't and I understand what's what's behind it. they're not doing it but it still doesn't make it ethical to mind this is comfrey and I put a little bit of fresh mint in the comfrey huh can taste that little just a little bit of mint let's see if we can find it it was literally like one stalk of mint about this big that I took and just put in there just because comfrey has kind of a bold taste <laughs> that some people object to comfrey is both you'll notice slimy and astringent and that's your mouth goes slimy and astringent tell me which one it is please right. and it's, it's both and so the mint just kind of you know distracts your tongue long enough for it to get down so, oh it's mint oh alright We'll have one this way, one that way. Right. How are we doing? Are people enjoying these infusions? Yeah. 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 This is not some cruelty that we're saying drink a quart of infusion a day, right? This is not some awful torture that I have thought up here. No, this is fun. This is nice. This is delightful. You know, the, uh, the apprentices are not even allowed to have a sip of water until they've consumed their quart of infusion a day. <laughs> right? And certainly not any, any dastardly things like, ick, fruit juice. 
Right. <laughs> what is comfrey good for? Comfrey is good for memory. I knew that would get your interest. <laughs> you know, my dad in the, the latter years of his life could tell you what kind of uh, cologne Eisenhower was wearing when he shook his hand in uh, North Africa. Uh, but he had a very hard time remembering from one minute to the next what was happening. Uh, Long-term memory, fine. Short-term memory, we were in Paris, right? And every morning we would have our, uh, you know, petit déjeuner at the same café, the corner café. And every morning my dad would say to me, uh, did you notice the street signs are in a foreign language? <laughs> and I'd say to him, Dad, we're in Paris. He'd go, oh, right, 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 we're in Paris. Next morning he'd say, did you notice the street signs are in a foreign <laughs> She just couldn't get it that we were in Paris, France, hi. Not in Orange County anymore. <laughs> it's a different place here. So comfrey contains not only a lot of protein, as I said, each one of these has been chosen because it's very rich in protein, but those proteins, those amino acids in comfrey, have a dual purpose. First of all, they're critically important to powerful brain formation in the fetus. So I highly recommend comfrey for all pregnant women who want to have a smart and intelligent child. Another two vegan parents now in jail for the rest of their lives because they killed their baby. What? Yeah. Just um, ten days ago. Another set of vegan parents who are now in jail for the rest of their lives because they killed their baby because they wouldn't let their baby have any milk. Not even breast milk because it comes from an animal. I am not kidding. They tried to feed this baby on fruit juice and soy and rice. And the baby died and now they're in jail for the rest of their lives. And I say to people, again, you know, you can destroy yourself by any poor diet you want. Be my guest. But leave the children out of it. Children need meat. They need milk. They need eggs. They need fish. Vegetarian and vegan children is stupid. And I choose this word carefully. By stupid, I mean their brain will never develop to its full potential without animal protein. Comfrey's a good halfway measure. At least it's going to give that brain a huge number of the amino acids that it needs. And those amino acids are specifically in adults are used to form short-term memory. Now, remember I just said that comfrey is both slippery and astringent. Are you kind of getting that? And did you notice how the comfrey leaf stuck to my hands? Because of that slipperiness in there. All right. So what comfrey does, first of all, it only affects the bones, the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, the skin, the brain, and the mucous surfaces of the body. All right, so we're not talking about an herb that has any primary effect on the liver, the kidneys, any of those internal organs, right? But digestion, respiration, sinuses, skin, muscle, bone, tendon, ligament, comfrey has tremendous effect on those. And the effect is exactly as its taste indicates. Strength from the astringency, flexibility from the slipperiness. This is another reason why any woman over 40 who's contemplating having a baby, I say, come free. Because those tissues maybe over 40 years of living have gotten a little less flexible and a little less strong. I was sitting at dinner one night with Juliette de Berkeley Levy and she was holding my hand. And she said to me, oh, this is a hand that, that never works. Why did she say that? Because <laughs> it's so lovely and smooth. My hands are very smooth and soft, huh? 
you know. Well, I work very, very hard with my hands. Here's a couple of women who've apprenticed with me. Do I work hard with my hands? <laughs> really, really hard with my hands. How come my hands are so smooth? Oh, lovely. Yeah, very smooth. Comfrey. Comfrey. You want your vagina to be like this, don't you? <laughs> Especially if you're giving birth, you want your vagina to be nice, flexible, not ripping, not shredding, not getting calluses. Yes, right. So comfrey does that to our bones. One of its old names is knit bone, right? You're concerned with the health of your bones. Comfrey is what you want. Another question here. Yes, I used to use comfrey a lot, and then and then you got scared. Yeah, I got scared. Let's see if we have time to go into this. I would actually like maybe somebody here. I want somebody to give me a grant. I would say, oh, I need maybe I don't know, fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this money to pay somebody to take care of my place for three months, and I'm going to spend that three months clarifying what's going on with Comfrey. This is what I can tell you now. This is the Comfrey that most of us are growing in our gardens. Is this true? It's got kind of purpley flowers, yeah? Okay, how many seeds does this make? None. None. Right. But it's constantly, there's constantly bees around it, right? I mean, like, where my Comfrey, the bumblebees are in a queue, waiting. <laughs> they're so, you know, it's like, blah, but it never makes any seeds. Well, what does that tell us? It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid plant. Right? An open pollinated plant makes seeds. Right? That's why we want like heirloom tomatoes. Because they're open pollinated. That means you can save that seed and grow that tomato so long as you don't have a lot of bees and a lot of tomatoes, in which case they're going to be cross-pollinated and you're going to wind up with a hybrid. <laughs> right? Hybridized seeds you don't make seeds. You can't save the seeds. Right? Now, many of us choose hybridized seeds because they have more nutrition, they're more pest resistant, they have lots of, you know, hybridized seeds have been around for over 50 years, and there's a good reason for them. All right? So we know that when a plant gets hybridized, one of the consequences often is that it doesn't produce seeds. Seedless watermelon, that's a hybrid watermelon, isn't it? Yeah, it's not an open pollinated watermelon. So we can tell by looking that the country we grow is a hybrid country. Okay, I know, and I would spend my time, if you choose to fund me, getting more into this. I would go to England and get more into this, but I know that in England, during World War II, the Germans were carpet bombing England. Yes? They weren't just like bombing munitions and trail stations. They sent planes over and they would drop bombs like every 50 feet all over the agricultural land because they intended to starve out the people of England and make them give up by starving them, not allowing them to grow any food. So they had a contest called the Bomb Proof Food Contest. <laughs> they weren't going to give in. Okay, we just have to grow bomb proof food. So there were two winners in the Bomb Proof Food Contest. One was a group of scientists who went into a basement and they got a big vat in the basement and they put saccharomyces in this big vat. What's saccharomyces? Yeast. Yeast. Single cell organism. What does it eat? Sugar. So they filled this vat with sugar, right, white sugar and water and yeast, and it grew like crazy, and they said, well, this isn't quite good enough, so they dumped in synthetic vitamins and minerals. And what's that called now? Nutritional yeast. In England, it's called Marmite. 
It's a bomb-proof food. Horrible for you nutritionally. One of the worst possible things that you could eat. All right. If you can't eat popcorn without it, I understand. Just don't eat popcorn all the time, okay? Right. I truly do understand. Uh, there's a few things, like we do uh, burdock stalks, and we dip them in egg, and then we roll them in nutritional yeast, and we have that maybe twice a year. Not a problem. It's the people who are doing the nutritional yeast all the time and thinking it's a good source of nutrition. It's not. The second winner was comfrey. Henry Doubleday at the Henry Doubleday Research Association, which I would like to go visit, in Bocking, Braintree, Essex, England, said, comfrey is a bomb-proof food. What do you think about that? Is comfrey bomb-proof? It's true, isn't it? Anybody here successfully ever get rid of comfrey? I have never met anybody to success. I've seen comfrey growing through three bales of hay. I saw somebody who put black plastic over her comfrey for two years, took it off. Comfrey grew just fine. I said, oh, that was a nice sauna. I mean, most plants, you do black plastic for one year, they're dead. Now comfrey, like, oh, yeah, well, that was nice. So I threw, we thought he was on the right train. Bomb-proof, you bet. He says, but there's these pyrolyzed and alkaloids in the comfrey that make it unusable for us to eat. So that's Symphytum officinalis, which is a small plant with yellow flowers. So he went to Russia, and he got Russian comfrey, or blue comfrey, which is Symphytum uplandica, which is a tall plant with blue or purple flowers. Hmm. And he hybridized it, and he made over two dozen crosses getting the pyrolyzabine alkaloids out of the comfrey. So if you are consuming comfrey from a comfrey plant that flowers at about knee-high with yellow flowers, you're in trouble. If you are, however, consuming what is sold as Symphytum officinale, I'm telling you it's all mislabeled, and that's something else I'd do in that three months, is I would get the labeling up to standard. This is not officinale, it's a plantica. It's not only just Aplandica, it's Aplandica X. Now, one of the things I would do, if you wish to fund me for three months to do this, is to go back to Richter's in Ontario. Richter's is one of the largest suppliers of herb plants in the world. And they grow out all of their plants. I mean, this is a gorgeous herb garden here, but it's very small compared to what they're doing up at Richter's. And Richter's has four of Henry Doubleday's crosses that they are growing out, plus they're growing out Aficionale. And you can see them all growing in the same place. And look for yourself and say, I've never seen Aficionale before. My gosh, I've only ever seen Aplandica. And the two Aplandicas that are most common, and you always start your comfrey from a root, right? So it's a clone. It's a clone. You're getting exactly his crosses. You can't start it from a seed. And there are two, one in which the petiole of the comfrey leaf kind of just butts up to the stalk, and another one in which there's wings on the side of the petiole of uh, leafy material. Have you seen those two? Yeah, most people who are familiar with comfrey go, oh yeah, I've seen both of those. Right. So apparently there's four of his hybridized comfries in current cultivation, although two appear to be most common in North America, and none of those have been found to contain any pyrolyzidine alkaloids at all. Now, I will tell you that this is an absolute anecdote. However, I have, for 25 years, drunk a minimum of half a gallon of comfrey leaf infusion per week. Oh, I used to. And there are many, many weeks when I drank, if I had an injury, like if I had a, a tear in a muscle or a ligament or a tendon, I would drink, oh, maybe two quarts of comfrey a day for two to four weeks. And at this point, so far as I know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with my liver. But if I get somebody funding me, I'll go have my liver enzymes checked. <laughs> hey, it's just one person, but have you been drinking comfrey leaf infusion? 
How should they do it? So far as you know, fine. The Nessie, drink any comfort relief infusion. How should they do it? So far as I know, out of hundreds of thousands of students that I have recommended to drink comfort relief infusion, nobody has had any problem at all. Well, I'm adding it back in. So, totally up to you because the comfrey has uh, this slimy and dry at the same time at home this is what we put in with our comfrey this is monarda didima oswego tea or bergamot red bergamot do not use the purple bergamot this one has so little volatile oil in it and we use this much per ounce of comfrey that's one stalk of bergamot with its leaves and flower harvested during the flower and dried and we use one stalk per ounce of comfrey just to give it that little bit of minty taste right i didn't have any dried and of course your volatile oils are going to dissipate on drying which is why i use it dried right and why i use such a tiny amount of the fresh mint because that fresh mint has more volatile oils which remember are damaging to your kidneys back to your kidney question any plant with volatile oils is going to be really hard on your kidneys if i was worried about my kidneys i wouldn't drink mint tea i wouldn't drink chamomile tea i wouldn't have thyme tea or rosemary tea or sage tea or any of those because those volatile oils are really difficult for the kidneys okay so those are the th kinds of things i would stay away from with kidney problems we of course have heard people clapping which means our time technically is over can we stay just another five minutes is it okay i did i i'm i'm well known for totally creaming the time boundaries oh well because i want to talk about a fifth one that i've just recently started talking about and i didn't uh, make it because i didn't even see it in my bag duh uh, i saw the back of it and for some reason i thought it was uva ursi and that's because i have never seen this plant ground up like this this is linden and i've just never seen linden ground up um i've had people who say oh i bought it ground up and it's nasty ground up all right when i buy linden from frontier it's whole linden and that is my preference in whole is whole linden so i just it wasn't until i turned it over this morning i said oh god that, that's linden how weird right, so linden um is the world's leading anti-cold and anti-flu remedy more people across the world use linden and most of them know, know it is tilia all right tilia tea tilia titsane all right and of course you get all the different accents depending on where you are right and just as a nice little tea to help prevent colds and flus during the cold and flu season or a stronger tea if you have a cold or a flu so um wonderful uh, past apprentice of mine called up very upset she just went to the doctor and he said that her cholesterol was just like off the charts and she was a walking heart attack waiting to happen would somebody train these people to just be a little nicer in their speech please please help you know it's like oh you know people you know don't respond well to being told they're a heart attack waiting to happen so she's like ah you know they want me to take all these drugs what should i do so well first of all cholesterol is an unproven theory we have never been able to show that the amount of cholesterol in your blood has anything to do with a heart attack so i'm not really concerned she said well my, my and the more amount of C-reactive protein, the more likely you are to have a heart attack. And this, we do know, is a strong correlation here. 
although we don't really know how to bring C-reactive protein back. So she called me a week later. She said, well, my C-reactive protein is totally off the charts. Now the doctor is really hysterical. And she said, I wish you'd never told me to do that. I said, yeah, well, okay, now we know that we can work on the inflammation because it's the inflammation that's the cause of the heart attack. So let's see what we can do to bring this inflammation down in your C-reactive protein. And let's just take a few days, go into our dreams, go into our thoughts and our notebooks and see what we can find. She called me back two days later. She said, Lyndon. I said, Lyndon, she said, do you remember Margaret's song? She apprenticed with a, a woman named Margaret. And each apprentice has to choose a green ally and work with that green ally throughout their apprenticeship. And they have to give a report at the end of their apprenticeship on their green ally. And the only way to fail it is to look in a book. You're not allowed to look in any book at all. You have to simply f discover from the plant itself. So most of the plants sing to the apprentices. And what the Linden said to, to Margaret was, Linden, Linden, hear my heart. You can bring me a brand new start. Well, I smell fairies at my feet. I'm sitting under a linden tree. Bees are buzzing, birds are tweet. A linden blossoms sure smell sweet. A linden, linden, heal my heart. You can bring me a brand new start. I said, yes! I remember that song. She said, so linden, linen is going to heal my heart. So she started making her linden infusion. I'm going to tell you in a moment a special thing that we do with the linden. She called me back six weeks later. Her C-reactive protein was down by half. How do you spell it? It. Yeah. <laughs> I-T. L-I-N-D-E-N. -E <laughs> it's an old kid's joke. Railroad crossings, watch out for cars. Now spell that without any R's. T-H-A-T. <laughs> so linden, like comfrey, contains a mucilage. And as you're probably aware, mucilages are more dissolvable in cold water than in hot water. So we're going to do the same thing with both the comfrey and the linden with one slight variation. And that is first we're going to brew our infusion and then we're going to rebrew it with cold water. So we're going to take our comfrey, just like we did, put an ounce of it in a quart jar. With the linden, we're only going to put half an ounce in the quart jar. And I usually say this because it's so fluffy and big, you can't put more in. But people said, oh, you know, with the cut-up stuff, and I put in an ounce, it really tastes bad. So I said, okay, half an ounce is really what we want on our linden. We're going to brew it. We're going to strain it just like we did. And then we're going to take the spent plant material from our comfrey or from our linden and we're going to put it in a pot with two cups of cold water. Bring it up to a boil, put a lid on it, turn off the fire and let it steep for four hours. And that second brew, the comfrey itself is quite slippery. The second brew is so slippery it's almost like snot coming out of there. And it's your choice. You can mix the two brews together or you can drink them separately. The linden is so gloppy, you wonder if it's really going to get out of there at all. And that is one of the world's best anti-inflammatories from the linden. Fabulous from the comfrey, too. All right. And I'm just thrilled to see that modern medical science is starting to agree with me in something that I've been telling people for almost a quarter of a century, which is that the basis of most disease, especially chronic disease, is inflammation.
Inflammation. Cancer is a result of inflammation. Heart disease and blood vessel disease is a result of inflammation. All right. Alzheimer's is a result of inflammation. All right. Arthritis. Inflammation. All right. Crohn's disease. Inflammation. So when we can get our tissues to be less inflamed, we have a far higher degree of health. And both the linden and the comfrey are going to work as our anti-inflammatories without having any of the harsh anti-inflammatory things that come with some of the other anti-inflammatory herbs. They're still going to be nourishing us and helping us here. Obviously, we could go on for a long, long, long time. There was a really long thing in your proceedings that I've written for you about the infusions and nourishing herbal vinegars. What a wonderful time I've had with you all. Thank you so much. Water. Cold water. The comfrey or the linden from your infusion, two cups of cold water in a pan, brought up to a boil, covered and allowed to steep for four hours. Green blessings from Susan Weed, the voice of the wise woman tradition. Thank you for opening your heart and your mind to the wise woman way. Please visit us at susanweed.com for access to natural and herbal remedies for menopause, childbirth, and women's problems. Free information, classes, workshops near you, correspondence courses, apprenticeships, and lots more offerings for you. And for more great audio CDs, books, and DVDs featuring Susan Weed and other working herbalists, visit HerbalMedicineHealing.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.